0: Community policing is a term you hear a lot in Chicago, especially these days when public safety and violent crime are increasingly on people's minds. But it's not the most precise term. It can mean different things to different people and maybe something else entirely on the streets. Well, almost everyone agrees it needs to be part of the solution, a big part of keeping the streets safe. And this week, we're going to take an in-depth look. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. This weekend, we're going to talk about community policing, what it is and what it should be with three experts. Now, I will confess, I am literally stealing most of a panel that appeared before the City Club of Chicago this week to discuss this topic. Uh, Their perspectives are too important not to share. So joining me via Zoom conferencing are, in alphabetical order, Rosanna Ander the founding executive director of the famed University of Chicago Crime Lab and the U of C's Education Lab, where public safety has been the major focus. Also with us is Nicole Jordan McBride. She's the advocacy director for the Chicago Neighborhood Policing Initiative, and she has long been active on issues of police reform and criminal justice equity. We're also joined by Professor Andrew Papakristos who's a sociologist with Northwestern University he's also the founder of the Center for Neighborhood Engaged Research and Science they study the nature of cities and i thank all of three of you for uh, talking with me the the concept of community oriented policing has been around for quite a while uh, remember COP, COP, was even the acronym for federal funding for a while for uh, police officers, and everyone is for it. But when you start trying to define it and put it into effect, the ideas don't always mesh. Uh, Andrew Papacristos, you've studied the programs and the people. I want to start with you. Uh, what have you learned about the challenges of putting the idea
2: of community policing into actual communities? Well, thanks for having me and thanks for the question. I think that's the question we're still struggling to answer, which is community policing, as you already mentioned, doesn't usually refer to one single thing, in part because not every community is the same. But there are some key principles at the heart of community policing and two that are most fundamental. Uh, One is that the the civilians are involved in creating public safety or generating important issues or demands or showing what is the safety concern in neighborhood a as opposed to neighborhood b that's one element having civilians engaged and the other is this part of actual what we generally call problem solving right the idea is to bring these relationships together to solve local problems that include the assistance of the local police um and you know the reason we keep coming back to it uh, you know, we're coming back to it now, we came back to it three years ago and five years ago and 10 years ago, is it, at the heart of that is that that relationship between residents and police is based on trust. And then when we see the fraying of trust in an institution like policing, Residents and police often turn back to this model as a way to build trust because there was a period in this country, there actually was a period in Chicago in the early 90s when CAPS and community policing did just that. They actually enhanced civic participation, they enhanced trust in the police, uh, and it stayed that way for, for quite a bit of time, and then it started to unravel. But really, that's the heart of it, You know, engagement of civilians in public safety, problem-solving, with the idea that building a relationship, name to name, officer so and so, resident so and so, know each other, and then that will develop, you know, or reduce cynicism, hopefully, increase engagement with police and maintaining public safety.
0: Uh, Nicole Jordan Bri- McBride, uh, some folks look at community policing as something that should be the basis of all policing. And I think a lot of other people uh, sort of push it aside as kind of, oh, yeah, that's the officer friendly kind of thing. Um, what has it, in fact, turned into?
3: Um, Thanks so much for having me, Craig. Um, I think that, you know, kind of building off of um, Andy's point, where we saw at one point where um, community policing was prioritized, right, this idea of getting to know community members, not just a subset of officers, right, it was all officers working to be had this responsibility and was involved in the idea of getting to know community members, bringing in their concerns, talking to them, understanding, you know, pro- problem solving with the community. Um, and since that time, what we have seen is, um, by, by and large, community policing is just a subset of officers in the Office of Community Policing um, within Chicago. And other officers that are working to be are doing the air quote real police work, right? And so when you, when we when we say that community policing should be the cornerstone or you know the the what is what every other policing strategy is built upon. It should always come back to how are we serving the community? What is the co- what are the community needs? What is their input? How do we how do we serve them better? And the only way that you can actually know those things is if you're building a relationship with them. And if every single officer within the department is focused on. How are we making better relationships in order to create um, public safety outcomes together? Or how is my action going to push us further away from building the very important relationships that are needed in the community? Uh,
0: Nicole, I want to follow up on that just a bit because I know you said something like that uh, earlier this week too. Isn't that a lot of pressure to put on on police officers that every action that they take either can improve or alienate the people that they are supposed to be serving. And isn't that a, a kind of, isn't that maybe is part of the job, but it is a burden, isn't it?
3: You know, I think, I, I don't know if I would characterize it as a burden. Um, you know, we look at our officers as public servants. They are here to serve the public. And, you know, when we say, when I say, you know, that every action should you know, um, should lead to better relationships or, or, or they will push them back. I mean, you know, this is everyone a has to take individual responsibility for how they show up. Right. And that's what we're asking for. Right. We've seen time and time again, even as most recently of people not showing up as their best selves when they're serving a community, that's not pressure. That is for me, or what I would think of, this is what you're, what you're called to do. Now, the other part of this is how is the system as a whole ensuring that we have officers that are capable of showing up as their best selves? How are we looking at their mental health status? How are we um, dealing with officers who are responding to call after call after call that could be, you know, very weighing on them on them emotionally? So we have to look at both the individual actions of officers, but then the ins- an entire system that is built up to support officers to make sure that they can show. up up in this manner.
0: Rosanna Ander, you've you've said that the need for effective community policing is blindingly obvious. Uh, How do you get everyone to see it that way? And because it is, it has waned and waxed, uh, uh, you know, in in importance, depending upon who's, you know, on the fifth floor at City Hall and depending upon who's sitting in the office of uh, the police superintendent
4: yeah no th- uh, again, thanks for having us. This is such an important conversation to be having. so I think we'd be happy to come back as many times as as needed. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that you, you need only look at something like the the clearance rate for non-fatal shootings. in the city of Chicago, five percent of non-fatal shootings get solved. Um, and I, I think that that means functionally, you can shoot another human being with impunity. And if we don't have a police department, and I really want to echo what Nicole said, and of course, what, what Annie said as well, but this, you know, we need to be looking at not just the action of individual officers. Yes, they need to be held accountable for how they are doing the job. But we also need to look at the systemic issues that are creating the kinds of outcomes that none of us want. The police don't even want that. I think when people sign up for this job, many of them, most of them, I would say, go in because they want to serve their community. They want to be a public servant. And then we feed them into a system that has all kinds of obstacles to doing that. That's not good for the officer and not good for the community. So, you know, I think it is blindingly obvious. And we could point to lots of different examples that sort of underscore um, the failure uh, to implement that philosophy in a true way, um, and not just in Chicago. I, I think we are obviously talking about Chicago. We all live in Chicago and care about Chicago, but this is not a Chicago challenge. This is a national crisis that we're facing in terms of police legitimacy. And it does come back to those, those who are being police or those whom the police are supposed to serve, um, if they don't trust and feel that that is a legitimate, appropriate um, way that government is um, acting, it, it really kind of the whole democracy breaks down. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing is, you know, in many ways, police are the most visible face of government. And if residents don't feel like they are behaving in ways that are legitimate, credible, in their best interest, I think the whole um, sort of democracy starts to fall apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask though, is there not? even a division within black and brown neighborhoods where which can very often be over police because there are some people who see the police as almost an occupying force and distrustful and and then there are other people who are sitting in their homes afraid to go out who would just as soon see the police come in and sweep all those people off the block and they don't care if a few heads get knocked in, in, in the way. And and how do you reconcile those kinds of that fear with also the, the distrust? Uh, And I I, I I really want to hear from all of you on this. But yeah, Rosanna, you can start. off. Yeah,
4: I mean, I think what you just sort of laid out, I think, is really the sort of misunderstanding or the the public narrative that's framed as though it's a choice between crushing crime, going after the violence or having a fair and just and um, effective Uh, System, And I I think that's a false choice. I think we really can have both officers that enjoy the trust and legitimacy of the entire community, um, as well as communities that are safe. And I think that's what we're aspiring to. And I I think doing it, it, you know, we can, uh, you know, the government can deploy forces to go out there and crush crime. But if they're doing it at the expense of trust and legitimacy, that's going to be come at a great cost. And I don't think it's what anybody actually wants. I think people want both. They want safety and they want trust and legitimacy and justice.
0: Nicole, I see you nodding. Uh, This is I mean, this is something that, uh, that we have to face, correct?
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, just to kind of build upon Rosanna's comment, I do think it's a false duality there, right, where it's not either or. I think that community members want, I mean, let me deal with the first piece of the occupying, right? I do think that we do have a situation in some communities where, you know, community members feel like the police are here, but um, we don't know them. You know, they're kind of just sitting here on at the corner, you know, waiting for either as a deterrent or, you know, waiting for something else to happen. And I mean, that feels very um, impersonal. You know, it it doesn't feel like um, you're actually there to serve the community. It feels like you're actually there to just sit on the community, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I don't think that any community member that, that has that want that level of that kind of relationship with officers what they would like is to if you're going to be in a community you have to be here and be in the community and that's what we're asking for right and so going back to this idea of this this um this false this false relationship of crushing crime versus you know um having real relationships and trust um i think that community members ultimately want to be able to partner with not just um, the the local law enforcement, they want to be able to partner with city agencies and they want to feel as, as a part of a team that's creating thriving communities. And they want to have a say-so as a part of that team. We're talking about community members who, you know, are... Paying their taxes and, and have properties, and you know, want their children to be able to go to the local park and be able to play outside and jump double dutch or whatever they do, right? And they and and be a part of a thriving community, and that takes everyone playing a, a very real role.
0: And Andrew Papacristos, I, I I know you have actually in your work talked to people who were in 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 those communities. Ken, so what's your perspective on this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, so part of the work we've been doing at Corners has actually been working with and evaluating the latest uh, neighborhood policing initiative in Chicago that Nicole is working on on the community side. And we've been following a cohort of community officers and community residents for the last five years, essentially since uh, after the Laquan McDonald video was released, uh, before Jason Van Dyke was sentenced, uh, Adam Toledo was still alive, and so we've been following this group of people that are actively engaging in this process uh, and we've learned a couple of things and it's actually it speaks to the point that both Nicole and and rosanna were making about how complicated it is one thing we learn is that you know from the police side the cops that are involved in these programs this is why they became police officers right they really enjoy making the connections into there now of course if their selection and who's choosing to be in this program, but the cops that were there really enjoyed doing this sort of work, being partnered on the ground to solve problems. Conversely, the community residents also enjoyed the experience. And what we learned from both of them is people are complicated and also pretty smart, which is they can, like Officer Craig, but be critical of the police department at the same time. Because they trust Officer Craig because they know they're not afraid of Officer Craig and they know that Officer Craig knows me and my kids and the people on my block. But that doesn't mean they ignore all the other problems around them, which actually speaks to one of the things you know that constantly goes on in this space. you know when we look at the the history you know of black communities and their calls for po- changing in police, which goes back at least until the 1880s, they've always asked for for what we get labeled as police reform, but they've always put that in a bundle of other changes as they understood it as part of the issue around community safety, right? So it was never an all or nothing thing for any community, let alone the Black community in Chicago that said, all we really want to do is fix policing. Policing was just one thing. And they pointed to housing segregation, school segregation, all of these other things at the same time as being related to public safety. But all they got was policing. Um, one last thing I'll say, which you know relates to to these programs that we're talking about. And it comes to like the sorts of things we can look at, which is there's the police officers don't get rewarded for doing that job that they want to do, right? There's no pathway to commander being a community policing officer. In fact, they're often, you know, stigmatized within a police department as being you use the word officer friendly, right? They're not real police. They get looked down upon. So it, it's in some ways, we're not rewarding the type of policing we think the community wants. In fact, it's kind of like packaged up in like one of these little Zoom boxes we're in and treated that way, as opposed to being part of the philosophy of policing that says what we're going to do is get to know people and and value this part of the relationship.
0: I want to explore this some more in just a second. You are listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about community policing in Chicago. And my guests are Rosanna Ander, Executive Director of the University of Chicago Crime Lab, Mc- Nicole Jordan McBride, the Advocacy Director for the Chicago Neighborhood Policing Initiative, and Andrew Papacristos, Professor of Sociology at Northwestern University. Uh, and this actually sort of ties back into something Nicole said right at the top that very often the community policing officers are a uh, you know, if we you, you know we have a gang unit and we have you know the uh, the organized crime unit and then we have community policing and they're their own separate units. Uh, I don't know if they get different training, but is that not in and of itself, Nicole, part of the problem that this is something these officers do as opposed to something officers do?
3: Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, the other part of this is not only do we have this like very separated approach to to policing, but then it's also the tools that we give to officers to be able to help community members in the first place, right? We we don't equip officers with the right tools, with the right resources, with the right relationships in order to be able to, you know, a- assist community members in a way that is helpful and it goes beyond um, um, crime smashing for lack of a better word, right? So then if you give, if you only give a hammer, everything is a nail and it's it's not, it's, it should not be that way. And I think that, you know, when we approach policing from this perspective, then you have no, you have nothing left other than that create a us versus them approach, right? When you approach policing from a place of, you know, not building relationships, not giving, re- not being able to have any other resources to effectively um, identify and work on problems in partnership with community, you you will have this very real, um, uh um idea that the real police work only happens when I am, you know, crushing criminals and collecting guns and collecting drugs, irregardless to what that does to the social fabric of the community itself. Um, And so I think, you know, what we see with, um, particularly with the Chicago Neighborhood Policing Initiative um, that we've been working on with the Chicago Police Department is that we we want to make sure that officers have the capacity and the knowledge of what is actually happening in the community, whether they are a B officer, they work in the SDSC room, whether they're a detective, all of these officers that are working to air quote, fight crime in the community should all do it from a community focused place. And that's what we're trying to achieve.
0: Uh, Rosanna, Andrew, yeah. You, you were about to say, let, let me just let you go. I, was, I think you're going to hit what I wanted to ask you.
4: Uh, well, we'll see. But um, I just wanted to echo what, what Nicole said, which is really when we say that community policing isn't some specialized unit, it's what we're sort of arguing is it needs to be really the core philosophy of every person, including civilians in the department. It's, you know, a, that that really the orientation needs to be our jobs are to help solve problems in the communities that we serve and the different communities may have different priorities and we have to have mechanisms to engage With residents, whether you are in a specialized unit or doing routine patrol, and I think one of the things that a leader uh, um, in a very large police department, not Chicago, um, pointed out recently, and I just think it's such an astute point, is literally the most important tool that a police officer has, that every police officer has, is the tool that almost no department trains on, and that's their mouth. The ability to effectively communicate and Um, engage—they do all kinds of training on tactics and tools um, that you might think of, like guns. um, But really, the most important tool is to be able to effectively engage and communicate, and that has not been a priority in terms of how we train um, police leader or you know police officers in this country. Uh,
0: Is that something that uh, is—is that a culture? problem or is that a leadership problem or maybe both because we're not training that way but also police aren't thinking in that way i mean where where does that fall and how do you attack a problem like that and i will take an answer from whoever has one
2: (laughs) i'll 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 say it's it's a cultural problem it's also an organizational problem so so it's both you know culturally policing (laughs) you know has a particular bent which it is it hard to change you know we often call it a warrior mentality you know even in memphis the name of the squad was scorpion so anybody who thought naming a squad scorpion was going to instill you know good relationships with the community didn't not just use their mouth to rosanna so they didn't use their ears right now, you know, it's it's one of those things, but you do that constantly. And the other thing that happens in policing, and this is really comes back to this issue of trust is, you know, the number one priority in training and policing is about officer safety. And so they prioritize and see and feel danger everywhere around them which means that they are seeing everyone as suspects almost from the get-go. I mean, this is every traffic stop, every call they get. And part of it is, again, the, the number of guns we have in this country. When they say somebody with a weapon, they don't assume a stapler or brass, they assume a gun and they treat and approach every interaction this way, right? Potentially because we have a lot of guns, but it actually shifts interactions fundamentally. And that is a cultural priority, right there's also this issue of leadership and organizational structures there are policies that can change behaviors right you know when when pursuing flights the fleeing felon rules and we've done this and they can have an impact but officers also still have tremendous discretion um, but they are bound by policies as well but the leadership element is also very real because there's policies and then there's mandates so you can choose to enforce certain things you can choose not to enforce certain things so you have to look at both organization and culture and changing culture is hard in any institution, including one as, you know, as policing as a culture, as well as individual departments.
0: And, and Nicole, we're also dealing with policing as a as a political issue, because let's face it, the very kinds of things that uh, Andrew's talking about, about the the policies on chases, foot chases or, or any kind of chase that's an issue in the in, in the in the campaign for mayor people saying the police are handcuffed that is isn't that one of the battles that you're you have to fight uh is people feeling that reform is something the police feeling some of them that reform is something being done to them
3: yeah I think so I think that you know <laughs> policing is extremely political and it shouldn't be right like this we're talking about people's lives right and that this not this should not be a political thing and whether you're talking about the police officer's life the community member's life um it should not be as hyper political as it is we should be thinking about common sense ways to approach public safety outcomes that also means it working with the community right so you know when i think about the 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 different policies that are that have been enacted or you know as we are talking about reform officers are are automatically thinking well again this is us against them they want to you know they they're criticizing us they they are not you know um we, we are, we're coming to serve and we're keep, keeping the community safe but they're consistently you know saying that we're doing wrong and i don't think that that's what this means at all i think that we have to be able to say How do we make sure that officers receive the right training, the right kind of training, the right kind of leadership, the right kind of incentives in order to actually and the right kind of tools to um, and support to be able to do an effective job so that community members can actually work with the police to have thriving communities and successful and working relationships To me, nothing about that is political. It seems very simple. And it seems like it's a thing that everyone should want. But I think that we do use the very divisive language because we don't want to get the real issue here. We need leadership and structural change in how we approach the issue of policing, particularly policing in communities of color.
0: Rosanna, clearly just diversifying the force alone doesn't do it or else Memphis would never have happened. Uh, What do we have to do what's the one thing we need to do to get people to start looking at it through a different vision?
4: Yeah, I think unfortunately there's not the one thing. I think it's it's many things that you know. I, and I tried to say this on the on the City Club panel. I actually think that the kinds of changes that are needed are win-win. I, I think this is a the current system status quo is really not good for residents that need effective, fair, just transparent policing it's also terrible for officers the if you look at the suicide rate if you look at some of the mental health unmet mental health needs you, you know it, it's really it's it's bad for everybody so i just i do think that there are things that are you know changes that could be made that are good for communities but also good for police and i think it does start with um really investing in their human capital in a way that we haven't and and i'm not saying Necessarily more money. I think how we allocate the money we are currently spending on policing um, could be vastly improved. Investing more in their leadership, in their human capital, in their health, mental health, and well-being, um, and creating more systems of accountability and transparency. Um, if if everything is considered law enforcement sensitive and can't be shared with the community, no wonder the community is worried that there's all kinds of nefarious things happening.
0: That's going to have to be the final word, and uh, Rosanna, I think I'm going to try try and take you you up on your offer and make the, the 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 other two come back too, because this is a discussion that could have gone on another half hour, and and I certainly had enough other things I wanted to talk about. So let's do this again sometime. Uh, but uh, I want to thank Rosanna Ander, executive director of Chicago Crime Lab, Nicole Jordan, Brot McBride, the advocacy director for the Chicago Neighborhood Policing Initiative, and Andrew Papakristos, Professor of Sociology at Northwestern University. Thank you very much. This has been a great discussion. To our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of that Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. <sighs>